are still in Colossians, the first chapter. Um, I said last week that I would be kind of combing through this passage. I don't know how long I'll be here. I want to take a snap at these verses again uh, and just want to point out some things that I didn't get a chance to delve into. If you didn't get the uh, message last Sunday, I pretty much gave an overview and now I want to get very specific. Um, But still, considering the background and the backdrop of what uh, was happening at that time with the Colossians and how that speaks to us and teaches us today. Amen? The Word of God reads, Colossians 1.26 out of the New Living Translation. I'll let you know when I'm switching because I am going to be switching to the King James momentarily. Paul was suffering and wanting to get a certain specific message to not so much the Jews, but the Gentiles that were in Colossae, a church that was forming, and he had paid dearly and suffered greatly for this truth that he wanted people who were not Jews to hear. Amen? And verse 26 says, this message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people for God wanted them, the Gentiles, to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of, his, of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I want to have you pay close attention to where he says the words we. We want to present them perfect to God. Amen? Amen. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with the wisdom God has given us. And then he said, that's why I'm working so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. I'm going to speak to you today from the title, Christ Working in You. Christ Working in You. Amen? Now, keep your finger there, and let's go to Deuteronomy 33.10. Stay in the same translation. Deuteronomy 33 and 10. And let's do verses 10 and 11. Uh, I kind of want to just kind of set this up. What's happening here, are you in a New Living Translation? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, here's a scene. Moses is about to die. He has disobeyed God. He is not going over into the promised land. Um, and so his leadership is passing from himself to Joshua, and he prays for all the tribes of Israel. And then he prays for the tabernacle workers, the temple had not been constructed just yet. They're still in tabernacle mode. He's praying for the Levites, the high priest. Amen. He's praying for the priest that work under the high priest. 
and especially the Levites, and they performed subordinate duties associated with public worship. The Levites were the musicians, the gatekeepers, the guardians, the temple officials, the maintenance of the temple, the judges, people that served like we do in the, today in the church. Amen? And so it says pretty much that they, the Levites, they teach your regulations to Jacob. They give your instructions to Israel. They present incense before you and offer whole burnt offerings on the altar. Besides the ministry of the Levites, O Lord, or rather bless the ministry of the Levites, O Lord. <laughs> um, and he says, and accept all their work of their hands. And then he goes on to say, hit their enemies where it hurts and strike down those that rise up against them. So basically saying, Lord, bless the Levites, the people that are working in your tabernacle. Amen? They are sacrificing. A couple of verses earlier, it talks about the Levites not even uh, putting their family first in some instances. You know, not, you know they're, they're so gung-ho and working so hard in the ministry. So Moses is saying, please bless them for their hard work. Bless their ministry. Um, here's the thing. Back in the day in old time, Old Testament history, in a new, before the new church, or the New Testament church rather, there was a group of people especially chosen to work for God and to represent God's people. They were called the priests, the high priests, and the Levites. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God, into the holies of holies, behind the curtain. We know about that, right? Only the priests and the Levites could perform the religious ceremonial duties in the tabernacle or in the temple of God. Which were the, pre- this, this is where uh, God had decided that his presence would dwell and manifest itself. God is everywhere, and we know that. Amen? But for the purpose of training the Israelites and understanding that God was with them and living among them, God manifests himself and rested his presence in the tabernacle. This was God's way of letting them know that I'm living with you. Amen? And I taught you that before. It's very important that we understand that the Israelites were taught during this time when God was living with them how holy God was. Amen? They need to understand that he's holy. And they need to understand that God only wanted chosen people to work for God in his temple and to represent God to the rest of the people. So you had all the other tribes, but you also had the Levites and the priests and the high priests. They worked for God and they represented God. If you were not one of those chosen people from the priesthood of Aaron or the Levites and decided to function in that office and try to perform these duties or even touch the sacred uh, tools or objects or, or that were used for ceremonial worship, uh, you could die. It was serious. So you would, you know, somebody got up there today and said, I'm just going to preach, and you tried, you die. If you were not a part of who God called, amen, to perform his special duties. If you even touched the, the tools, the, 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 the sacred objects, the, the brazen labor, the, 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 the sacrificial instruments, the, you know what I mean? The poles that carried the ark. You would die. Amen? So this position, this chosen position, was not to be taken lightly. 
Now, I've said it before, and I want you to keep this in mind, that the nation of Israel always understood that they were God's chosen people who were living with God, but it was never assumed by them that one day barbarians, heathens, uncivilized folks could be accepted by God, chosen by God, live with God, or let alone even work for God. That was unheard of. So the Jews understood some points here. I want to kind of just give you the background so before we move on. The Jews understood that God was so holy that if you sinned in any way, something had to die. Amen? Somebody or something died in your place. That was the key. So in this time, animals were slain because of the sins of the people. So you would lay your hand on your sacrifice, your animal, and transfer your sins and what you did against God to this animal by putting your hands on its head. And then they would kill that animal in your place for what you did. Sound familiar? Amen. All right. Here's another point. That animal had to be spotless, without blemish, which means you couldn't just bring some beat-up animal from your flock, some deformed, sick creature, an animal missing limbs or something wrong with it. You could not just bring any kind of animal. It had to be spotless, without blemish. It had to be perfect. Somebody said it out there. Amen? The sacrifice had to be acceptable to God. If you brought your worst, then your sins were still on you. And God was not appeased or the propitiation had not happened because God was not pleased with the sacrifice. He didn't want things brought to him that were not of a certain level. Are you hearing me? You could not use an animal, you know, well, just give God anything. You know, no, it had to be the best. Amen? Not only did the animals have to be of a certain level, here's another point. If you had a deformity, you yourself, or disease, or something was wrong with you, something below standard, you were considered unclean. So you were unfit to be in the assembly with all the rest of the worshipers, right? And so you had to go outside the camp, get yourself together. And then before you came back in the camp, they had to sacrifice animals to make sure you were okay to come into the assembly or be brought back into the camp, amen? You had to get yourself together. Some animal had to be killed in order for you to be made right again. Ah, so think of it this way. God made everything. And we learned this in Bible study. I want you to kind of start, start coming if you haven't come yet. God made everything, and in everything that he had made, God said it was not only good, but very good. Amen? So when God created human beings, when God made you, he considered you to be very good, without spot or blemish, nothing wrong with you. So the health problems that we are experiencing today are not because God made inferior people. It's because of the sin. Are you hearing me? Sin messes up everybody and everything. Case in point, and I use this example sometimes, but I'm going to use it again, but I'm going to extend it because I'm starting to see how this really plays out over time. 
I can't see. I need glasses. A long time ago, Lena's here today. Lena can test to this. When I went to school, they found out I couldn't see the chalkboard. I eventually got glasses. Remember that day, Lena? So here's the thing. I got on glasses, and I couldn't see far. Teacher's writing all kinds of homework assignments on. I'm just going. And go to school and, you know, come back the next day with nothing done because I couldn't see what was happening. Now that I turned 50, I'm realizing I can't see close up either. And it happened suddenly. I woke up one morning and was like, oh. It happens, right? So now I have to, I, ha- I bought these, I went on Amazon, I bought these things that clip onto my glasses. And when I'm reading my computers and my Bibles and stuff like that or doing my music, whatever I'm doing, I have to flip the things down. And they also, they bring this thing called a bifocal kind of effect. Where the word in my Bible just goes, boom, and I go, oh. Now, I thought I was in the book of Jude. <laughs> but this goes on. This is not because God gave me bad eyes. This goes on because God gave me eyes, but they have been affected by sin. Are you hearing me? Look at my family. We got eight people, and so far, five of them are wearing glasses. Patience is not even supposed to wear glasses. She got on glasses now that don't even have corrected lens on them because she knows this is not looking good. She's like, it's on its way any minute now. Somebody go wake up the next morning and be like, Daddy, I don't know what happened. (laughs) But if you think about it, from Jamie all the way down to Paisley, we all have glasses. It's not looking good. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that sin has affected us. I'm just waiting for the day Lydia comes through the door talking about she can't see. God gave me teeth. I wear Invisalign. Why? Because some teeth are in agreement with God. (laughs) And some teeth are like, (laughs) over here. (laughs) Some teeth are nice and straight, but some teeth, you know, they're doing their own thing. So I wear these things called Invisalign braces. They kind of align my teeth and put them back to where they... (laughs) are supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? Because God didn't give me bad teeth. What happened? Sin. Okay? So that's what happened. So could you imagine in old times, if we were back then, back there, if we had a spot or a blemish, and you came to church. Now, we're checking folks for COVID. But, you know, could you imagine us talking about opening up your mouth and missing choppers? <laughs> Before you get in church. Why? Because God expected Perfection. Are you hearing me? So a whole lot of us, unless you like, you know, perfect teeth or, you know, don't have a sniffle or, you know, don't, don't, don't have a deformity or, you know, some of us are bird, born with certain things that happen because of sin, you would not be allowed in the assembly because God, see people don't, I love reading the Old Testament now because it's, it's starting to give me an appreciation for where we are right now. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? What I'm saying is that even the Israelites understood that God was holy and there was something wrong. If there was something wrong with you, then something had to be dealt with. You had to have a sacrifice. There had to be time spent away. You were ostracized. You were put out. Are you hearing me? 
You needed a sacrifice to make you right before God again. Amen? So now when we're bringing these, uh, they were bringing these sacrifices to, to get right with God, they were bringing them to the Israelites, the, 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 the priests, the Levites, the high priests. Amen? The sacrifice would atone for their sins, and then if you were in that position, you could be brought back into the assembly, and you would not be called unclean. Why? But they never anticipated that God would one day allow people that were not Jews, barbarians, heathens, uncivilized folks, they never anticipated that they would be a part of the blessings of God. But one thing changed. His name is Emmanuel. He was born of a virgin. <laughs> he came from heaven to the earth. Huh? Came here with nothing. Huh? Lived among us. Walked among us. Huh? Gave his life, ministered to us, explained the truth to us, died on the cross, forgave our sins, and he became the perfect sacrifice. Get me Hebrews 10 and 11 uh, through 18. Same translation, living, New Living. Amen. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, talking about Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. He then sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. This proves that the death of Christ on the cross was accepted by God. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet, for by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Christ, one time, made you and I perfect in the eyes of God. Amen. Amen. And then verse 15 says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies this, uh, that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he says, I will never, ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. So here's my point, saints. When people say they're going to barely give God praise, barely give Jesus a thank you, barely lift up their hands and glorify God, barely be faithful to God, they are showing they have no clue of what he really fixed. They are showing that they don't understand the ramifications of what Jesus Christ has really done. When you have a half-hearted worship, when you're not actually giving God your all, when you're not really a, a, a taking into consideration everything he has done, it shows that you don't really understand how much he has fixed you. <laughs> you don't understand how much glory God is due for making you right, making you holy, taking your blemishes, taking your issues, taking the things that you came here with naturally even, and making you right before God. I'm not even talking about just stuff that you happen to get into. I'm saying we came here with some stuff that wasn't right, and Jesus Christ fixed all 
all that one time on the cross for you and me. So we don't come in going, well, hallelujah. No, we're going to thank you, Jesus, for everything you have done for me. Amen. Amen. We have life in God, not in the old way that depends on us, but in the new way that depends on Christ and what he's already done for us. But this time, it's not just living near God or around God. This time, it is God living in you. Look at that again. Verse 15, same passage. Back up, 15. Yes. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is a new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. This salvation is something that God does on the inside. Amen? This change and this transformation is something that God does on the inside. This is saying Christ is in you. He's in you writing his laws. <laughs> He's in you changing your ways. He's in you putting his lifestyle in your heart. He's in you changing your schedule. He's in you taking, telling you what kind of perspective to have, the way to think. He's in you putting the law in your heart and writing his laws in your mind. Are you hearing me? And this salvation is available to any man, any man, any man or woman who repents of sin and calls on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we all know it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The key thing I want you to see there is any man, any man. Now, go back to Colossians 127 this time. Get me the King James Version. Colossians 1.27, King James. Amen. Amen. As I said before, I'm almost done. Paul suffered to bring this message called the mystery to the Gentiles. Why did he suffer? There were enemies of the gospel that did not believe that the Gentiles were included in God's blessing. So Colossians 1.27 says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Amen? And that secret is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To whom God would make known. The implication is that this truth is not just for our intellect. But it is meant to affect our hearts. In order to change how we see our earthly experience, but also to change how you see your value. Mm. Are you hearing what I just said? Amen. Going through is one thing. Knowing what God has already done is another thing. And that changes how you think. Are you hearing me? So he's saying that God would make known so you experience in such a way, past your intellect, into your heart to where it changes your thinking. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles? Let me say something to you. He's stacking words on top of words because he wants you to understand something. What is the riches of the glory of this mystery? Rich people 
Don't trip off of what people think about them. Are you hearing me? Their confidence tends to come from what they have. Are you hearing me? They already got some money in the bank, so they don't care what you think about them. (laughs) Well, God wants Christians to put our faith not in worldly riches and money, but he does desire that we function out of what we already have how spiritually rich we already are, how spiritually rich God has already made us in order to change your focus and change the way that you operate on this planet and change how you see yourself. Uh, It will change how you view your value. You won't listen to folks who are going around telling you and having you go around in circles feeling like you're not right enough because you're not exactly like they are. It's like you're not good enough. He's saying, don't let folks tell you who you are. Look in the word. Let the word of God tell you who you are. Be careful that you don't end up in a situation like what the Jews were talking to the Gentiles and devaluing them. Paul was saying, I came, I've suffered. I've been beat up. I've been put down. I've been thrown out. I've been persecuted so that you would understand that the Gentiles are fellow heirs in this faith thing, in this blessing, in this inheritance. And he wants you to know that. So there are people there that were actually saying that you're not good enough. Paul was saying, we don't have time to focus on what everybody else is saying. We don't have time to focus on what other people think about you. Realize that what God has done for you is true. And let that truth dictate to you how you feel about yourself how you feel about what God is doing in your life, what you understand and what you don't understand, let that, let that truth be your foundation. Amen? Things are not going right. However, I'm rich in Jesus Christ. Things are not looking good. However, I'm rich in Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going on in my family. I don't know what's going on in my job. I don't know what's going on with my people. What I'm trying to tell you is Paul suffered so that you and I would understand that the riches is in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is already in you right now. And when you realize that, just like not Sister Pastor, but Maya said, <laughs> you will, when you realize that, you will get to work on what God is telling you to do because there should be a fire that bubbles up in you when I'm not going around in circles in my mind and in my emotions about who I am because I'm listening to people and not listening to God. Then eventually what begins to happen is I get charged because the barrier, the, the distraction, the thing that's in the way is, out, is moved out of the way I start to believe what God says about me. I start to believe it. Amen. So, get into work as the man of God that he's called you to be and how blessed you are. That is the whole point. But it takes you realizing the blessing that you already have in you. And what is Paul doing here? As I said before, he's stacking words on top of words to paint a picture. Rich, glorious, mystery in the Gentiles. The riches are housed in somebody. The riches are housed in who Jesus Christ is. The riches are housed in Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now stop there for a minute. I feel led to unpack this. Christ in you. Not just the hope of glory for the future. 
but Christ is in you right now. Are you hearing me? The hope of glory is the guarantee that we're going to heaven because of what Christ has done. But right now, Christ is in you for a specific purpose. And Pastor Rick talked about it when he was, when he was preaching this morning. We are royal priests. <laughs> yes, we are. What has he called you to be? He's called you to be not just a person who has a guarantee of the future that's coming and the glory that's coming and the riches that's coming later. But once you solidify that in your mind, he's calling you or calling you to be the royal priesthood. Jesus is already working in you. He's putting everything in you. He's the nourishment you need. He's the direction you need. He's the guidance you need. Huh? He is the, 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 the schedule you need. He's everything that you need. He's given everyone that believes in him certain gifts. He's given everyone that believes in him stamina. He's given everyone that believes in him the ability to endure. He's given everyone that believes in him everything that they need in order to walk out this life and be the royal priesthood that he's called us to be. Somebody in the back is getting this. Here's the thing I'm trying to get you to see. When you look at the background of what's happening here, you will never be the priest that God called you to be if you're always wondering if you're good enough. Oh, here's the thing. You're not good enough. (laughs) So let's get over that. But Jesus makes you perfect in the eyesight of God. Are you hearing me? And that's all that really matters, saints. Are you hearing me? So give me Colossians 3 and 1. Because this is what Colossians, in the middle sometimes, Paul puts his thesis statement or his main point. Colossians 3 and 11. Yeah, 3 and 11. There we go. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. This is the point. Are you seeing it? Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Are you hearing me, saints? Give me 1 Corinthians. I'm just going to give a couple of scriptures to back this up. 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? So here's the thing I want you to understand, saints. We technically didn't come to the house of God today. (laughs) We are the house of God. God is in the house because you brought God along with you. So right now, when we say let's have church, we are the church. When we say let's go to the house of God, wherever two or three are gathered, are you hearing what I'm saying? So what, what I'm trying to explain to you is God was living around them, but now God is living inside of you. You are the house of God. Keep going, Pastor. Ephesians 2 and 22. Ephesians 2 and 22. It says, through him, you specifically, Gentiles, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. What is he saying? God dwells in you. God lives in you. 1 Peter 2 and 9. 1 Peter 2 and 9. Write this down. 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are not like that. He's talking about all the heathen kind of, heathen, heathen kind of uh, uh, lifestyles that you know, people can get into. He said, you're not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation. God's very own 
possession. And when you know that, when you have solidified that, when that is no longer something that you're shaky about, he says, as a result, when you stop tripping off of what everybody else thinks about you, when you're not easily shaken by the truth, when you can stand flat-footed and say, I am a child of God and you, I will not accept you calling me anything else. When you understand that, when you know that for sure, when you know that you know that you know, like my daddy used to say, then it says you can show others the goodness of God. For he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what I'm saying is Christ in you, the, 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 the hope of glory in the future, but not only that, Christ in you presently. The Holy Spirit presently working in you to do his will. Just like the Levitical priest, we serve the Lord by representing him on this planet and serving in his temple. But this time, the temple's not outside of you. You are the temple. Are you hearing me? You are the temple of the Ghost. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So God no longer dwells in the tabernacle, the temple made by hands. He lives in you. I'm looking at the house of God right in front of me. Uh, So what do we do? As his body, we go around showing that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christ is in you. Amen. He's living in you now. And what do we do with that? We don't work in the temple or the tabernacle per se, even though some of us have responsibilities here. But Christ is in you, working in in your body, in your surroundings. We're still making sacrifices just like the Levitical priests were. We're still doing it. We live out our sacrifices in front of people. We are living sacrifices. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies holy and acceptable, huh? which is your reasonable service. This is what we do. We are, what are we? We are teachers. We are mothers. We are fathers. Huh? We are people in the marketplace. We are Charles Schwab. We're doctors. We're gas station attendants. What are we doing? Everywhere we go, we are representing God. We are bringing the priesthood to whatever area we are in. Why? Because Christ is in you. He is the hope of glory. Amen. And when we get that solidified that we are on our way to heaven and nobody can tell us we ain't going, and when we know that, what do we do? We begin to work for God. The fire gets turned on. Are you hearing what I'm saying, saints? Uh, uh. Here's the thing. When Jesus ascended, he first descended, and he gave gifts to men. Remember that? Abilities. The backdrop of this Colossians passage is talking all about some folks discouraging others to the point to where they are not activated. You have churches where the pastor has a certain gift. And naturally, in that church, that pastor's gift attracts people with a similar gift, right? And eventually, not even by their intention. They don't plan to do this. This is just what happens. You know, people just that are like-minded, they think alike, and they want to be around each other, you know? This is easier. 
<laughs> you know, it's easier to be like with folks that are just like you. So what ends up happening a lot of times is, let's say, for instance, you have a pastor who's big on evangelism. So what ends up happening a lot of times is the culture of that church kind of transforms in such a way to where you got a bunch of people who are interested in evangelism, and that is their gift. And I'm not saying that we, don't all, that we should not evangelize. I'm just saying some people have a special thrust from that. Amen? God gave a lot of gifts. You got people that pray, and they have, you know, we all should pray, right? And, and what ends up happening is you get a, a, a church that, that where the pastor is a real, real, real gung, you know, he's gung-ho about praying. God has given him that gift, and he could just pray heaven down. You know what I mean? And so the, what happens is they begin to attract other people with the like gift. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? But the culture gets so uh, particular. Are you hearing me? That maybe you don't, you don't have that gift. And you want to join that church. And you begin over time to start feeling a little isolated. Because you're not like the people in the crowd. I've seen this happen before. My daddy had a music gift, you know, and some people came in and he attracted not only an audience that loved the music, but he attracted gifted people who were musicians. So, you know, if you came in talking about, well, you know, I just like to know to do, to do, I'm a ministry of helps. You know, I, 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 I want to sweep it at the church. <laughs> I want to clean up the church. So what ends up happening is that the culture, because it's so musically Inclined, thank you. You know, the culture kind of can sometimes make people feel like, well, you don't really, you know, fit in here too well. So you start to feel a little isolated. You know what I mean? And th- but a person next to you comes in saying, Jesus, Jesus. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, come on, we got a place for you. Uh, you feel what I'm saying? You fit in easily. You know, but there are people, there, there's cultures. Cultures that can kind of sometimes unintentionally make people feel a little isolated. Have you ever experienced that? Oh, so, okay, it's not just me. Okay, so you know, I've seen this happen. You know, when it's not something that God intends to happen, but it does happen. Amen. But if you're not careful, we'll end up being just like the Gentiles were being treated by the Jews. Are you hearing? See the connection? Where I just don't quite fit in. God didn't give me your gift. God didn't, I'm not like you. So now I feel a little isolated. And I never wanted to set up a church like that because I've seen the people come in and go out, not even notice sometimes. Because they didn't fit into a particular group or culture. That's not what we want to do, saints. That's not what we want to do. We want to be on fire for God. But here's the thing. Once you know who you are, Hey, once you come in there knowing I'm already rich, <laughs> I have Christ in me. He is, I've, he, I've been given riches and glory already, not just for the future. I'm carrying it right now. Once you know that, that kind of helps you get through those kind of situations where you end up with churches that, I'm sorry to say it, have certain specialized cliques. Are you feeling me? Amen. Last scripture and I'm done. Yeah. And then we'll go back to the last part. Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2. I'm going to sum this up. Help me, Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2. God gave instructions. He says, give me King James. Yeah. There we go. Uh, the priest 
the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi. This is our temple workers. Interesting. Shall have no part, no inheritance with Israel. In other words, they will receive no allotment of land. When they came into Canaan and they conquered that area, Joshua distributed land to the tribes of Israel. And they all got a piece of the pie, except for the temple workers. They shall receive no inheritance. They, 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 they have no part nor inheritance with Israel. And it says, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. He says this twice, and then he says something rather interesting. The Lord is their inheritance. <laughs> he, as he has said to them, he said that over and over again. I counted. There's something like 20 scriptures in the Old Testament alone that deals with telling the Levites and ain't about getting stuff. <laughs> I am your inheritance. Christ in you. See where this is going? Amen? All right. Paul wants the Gentiles to know that once they realize they are rich already in Christ, it creates a fire in them where they get fired up to do the thing that they've been called to do, which is to be the holy priest that God has called us to be, the royal priest, and to tell others about how to get Christ to live in you too. Christ in you. He is the riches. You're carrying riches inside of you, church. So you never have to get frustrated because your neighbor has more than you. You never have to get frustrated or insecure and feel like, well, you know, they got, they got a big TV over there. They got more stuff than me. It's not about that. What he's saying is that your neighbor does not have more than you. You have riches and glory living inside of you right now. His name is Jesus. You're not blessed because you ain't got it like everybody else. Christ is your inheritance. And once you're sure, you're, you're, you're being secure in that fact and what God has already given you so that you're already assured of heaven, but you're also, also confident about what God has given you, then what ends up happening is you begin to work on what really matters. You're not thinking that you're missing out on something because you already got Jesus. He said, don't give them any land. Tell them I'm all they need. Hallelujah. So back to Colossians 1.28 and I'm done. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Once that is solidified, then look what happens. So we tell others, verse 28, uh-huh, about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom he has given us. We want to present them to God. Perfect. How does that happen? By Christ being in you. Amen? In their relationship to Christ. That's why we work so hard and we struggle depending, he says, on Christ's mighty power that works within us. So it is Christ in you, the future hope of glory, but it is Christ in you, the present reflection of his glory. I'm not saying that you can't go out there and get a job. I'm not saying that as the Levites, the priest, that's who you are. 
royal priesthood, living stones, the house of God together. I'm not saying you can't have financial situations where you need need or have needs, whatever have you, and you don't need to go out there and hustle, whatever have you. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying you can't have a job. I'm saying that your job can't have you. No, that's not who you are. Are you following what I'm saying? Because you realize that you're carrying everything, every single thing that you need inside of you. And who is he? Jesus. You got it? You got it? So get over what everybody else thinks about you. Get over what you don't think you have. Get over all of that. All that matters, he said. Whether you a barbarian, <laughs> whether you, he's saving barbarians, he's saving heathens, he's saving all kinds of folks. All that matters is Christ living inside of you. Amen? Christ working in you. I'm done. Amen. <laughs>